welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Soft Spot Podcast. I have a very special guest today, Tiffany Townsend. She's the first Black certified professional midwife in the hometown of Grand Rapids, Michigan. So we want to welcome her. So I wanted to ask you, how long have you been a, a midwife? So I think that the answer to that question is so complicated because (laughs) colonization, right? Um, So I've been officially licensed in my state since um, July of last year. I've been doing midwifery work for the past three years, and then I've been doing birth work for a total of seven years. So if you think that, you know, passing an exam and doing all of that makes you a midwife, then I've been licensed since last July. <laughs> okay. Well, you've been doing the birthing work. So, right. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I also see that you're also a lactation counselor as well. Thanks. So, how long have you been doing that? So, I've been working in lactation for, shoot, like eight years now. Okay. Well, for anyone who is not familiar with what a midwife is, do you want to kind of give um, your definition of what exactly a midwife does, the duties, and how they can help? There are a couple of different kind of midwives. Um, there are certified professional midwives, certified nurse midwives. Certified professional midwives usually work in the home. CNMs usually work at the hospital, but there are some CNMs that do home birth. Um, the role of a midwife is essentially they're a healthcare professional who takes care of pregnant people and their babies, who is responsible for educating them about their birth options, um, giving them options to begin with, um, and monitoring their labors and their pregnancies to make sure that they stay within normal ranges of, of what is safe and normal to do at home. So that's pretty much my role. I think a lot of people get confused about a midwife and a doula. A midwife is a medical professional that is caring for you during your pregnancy and a doula is a support person that is, you know, supporting you through your pregnancy, but not assuming the responsibility of your health. That pretty much would explain, uh, I was going to ask that next, the difference between a doula and a midwife. So when, what services do you um, bring as far as when a woman is getting care at home, what is she expecting from you? Or why is it so different than going into an actual medical practice? Okay, so first, um, what do they get? They get a person that is knowledgeable, not only knowledgeable about pregnancy, but knowledgeable about our our subculture as Black people. Um, I think that is really hard to relate to a provider that maybe doesn't, you know, understand you or look like you or understand your isms where you're finding yourself having to explain. So on top of, you know, just being someone who is from within your community, what I'm bringing is a knowledge of expertise that is both traditional and, you know, I have obviously had to pass my board exam. So I know the medical side of midwifery, but the important thing is like, you're getting someone who knows what normal physiologic birth is, how to help you and support you during that. Someone who can teach you about nutrition, someone who can help you with the aches and pains, someone that is loving on you every appointment. And that's something that I take 
great pride in is that whenever my clients come, my goal is to leave their cups full. So it's not transactional in the sense that like, okay, you come in, you have 15 minutes to maybe ask a question, maybe not. And then you're on to the next, you have an hour of care where we talk about all things that could be affecting you in your pregnancy. And you know, that's, that's how you build rapport. You always see me for your appointments. I'm going to be the one at your birth unless God forbid two people have babies at the same time, then you'll get a backup. But it's just different care because I am responsible for teaching about your options. You're responsible for making the choices that best fit your family. And so in care with me, there's not um, that sense of like dictatorship of like, you need to do this. You need to do that. It's a conversation about this is what we typically do. This is why we typically do it. Do you want to do it? Yes or no? Yeah. And as someone who just had a baby, my son is actually one years old. I can still kind of relate to those doctor's appointments where it's literally, like you said, you're with the doctor for maybe 10 minutes and it's kind of her going over your weights and that's pretty much it. And it's kind of that it's a huge disconnect, even down to the delivery. It's, it's just a disconnect. What made you get into wanting to deliver babies? So the reason that I started catching babies and getting into birth work is because one, um, I had birth experiences through different parts of my life. So I was a teen mother. Um, I would have my first kid when I was 16. Then I got pregnant again when I was 19. And so when I was having these encounters with the medical industrial complex, I was under the impression that I was being treated poorly because you know I'm black and I'm young and I'm a teen mom and then I was black and married with good insurance I wasn't on Medicaid and I was like dang like I'm still getting treated the same and so I knew that there had to be you know something better Mm -hmm. um and so you know when I started looking for a home birth midwife with my fourth um daughter I couldn't find any, you know, any black midwives. And I was like, I really, really want that. And so Mm -hmm. I ended up having another hospital birth. But when my last daughter, you know, I went with a community midwife here. And, you know, I still couldn't find a black one. So I was like, well, if I can't find what I'm looking for, then it's my responsibility to bring that forth. Because if I'm feeling like I'm missing that, then I'm sure that I'm not the only one, you know, in my community who is missing that. And I was already a birth worker. I was a doula. Um, there's so many, I've done so many births and, and the thing that I just started to see is I'm like, I can't sustain this long term as a doula because I'm seeing all of this violence taking place and there's no way to wash myself of that. And I didn't want to continue to work in that space. So I was like, I need to be in charge. So I'm going to go to school so that I can do that. (laughs) Awesome. So since you have had the experience of both worlds, um, delivering in a hospital setting and um, you got to do uh, use a midwife for your last child. How can you um, explain the difference in the experience? Was it a better experience? So if I had my first child at home, which I wanted to do even at 16, I would have never gone to the hospital. Um, When I was 16, my grandma's an OBGYN, so our worlds really are night and day. They contrast. We don't believe mm-hmm. the same things. Like, that's my grandma, and I love her, but she's an OBGYN. Like, old school, traditional, she's cutting episiotomies on all first-time moms, like, all of that. That's how she 
was taught to practice. And so I didn't want that. And so when I went into labor with my first son, I labored at home with her and, you know, she was doing my vaginal exams and all of that. And when I got close to seven, I was like, grandma, like, let's just do it here. And she was like, no, that is like so dangerous. And so before I even knew about the, the home birth world, like my soul wanted it. You know, like sometimes you don't even understand why you're being pulled a certain way and then you walk through life a little bit longer and you see that that's where your purpose is. And so, you know, there was a lot of like violence and stuff with my body and there was a lot of things that um, I wasn't in control about and I didn't have a choice about. And for the first time when I had my fifth baby, I felt like I actually had a baby and I've never had cesareans, but... I feel like I, for the first time, was able to be like, oh, my God, my body is so intelligent. Like, it guides me. It tells me what to do. It tells me what it needs for me in order to cope with the sensations that I'm feeling from contractions. And so that's something that nobody can ever take away, um, that everything that I did in that pregnancy was because I genuinely knew and I wanted to. And I said, yes, it wasn't core. So that was, for me, the the big, big difference. Okay, that sounds awesome. So another thing I wanted to talk about, because um, I have three. First daughter that I had, my birth experience was a nightmare. Um, my second daughter, I had a cesarean because uh, she was special needs. So they felt like that was the better option for her at the time because they didn't know everything that was going on. So with my third child, my doctor automatically said, we're going to continue on to the path of cesarean. So can you discuss a little bit how some midwives can help break that cycle of continuing with C-sections? Yeah, so I am very pro VBAC for people that want VBACs. Um, I will do whatever I can do in my power to support a person. And so I, I think that it's really important for pregnant people to understand that you have options, right? Like at this point, we're not living in the ice age where we don't know that we have options, but we can't Google something. So before I even go into VBAC, I want whoever is listening to just make room for that. Like, if you don't know, Google it. If you don't understand how to read um, studies and data, you don't have to. There's summaries in front of all of us so that you can get the synopsis of like, what is this information trying to tell me? Now, with that being said, I think that any person that has had one to 27 C-sections should be allotted the opportunity to try for a VBAC because your chances of uterine rupture are less than 1%, less than 1%. So there's really no reason for these repeat cesareans unless that is specifically what the person that is delivering wants. There's no reason for it. Why do you think um, medical doctors, like in the medical facilities, push for the continuous because it's what we've always done because this is what we've always done we're going to continue to do that even though there's no data suggesting that that's actually the better way to go um, with someone that has had a cesarean the data actually doesn't say that that's the best way to go it says that you're better off trying to have a, a trial of labor and honestly in my practice all of my clients that have had cesareans and I'm a knock on wood like I've never had a transfer for a VBAC mom ever. Mm-hmm. And I've done VBACs after seven cesareans. Oh, wow. Yes, ma'am. 
Okay. And and they always kind of say that you shouldn't have more than three cesareans. Is that true as well? Or have you seen moms have more than three? Well, I mean, I've done, you know, births with people that have had various ones, right? But cesareans are major abdominal surgery. And so... If you can avoid a cesarean, absolutely, you should try to avoid a cesarean. But again, that is the difference between having choice. Like you have the choice to do whatever you want. Now, what is best for you is probably to not continue to have, you know, this major abdominal surgery over and over because it creates a lot of scar tissue. And if you keep getting pregnant, then what can happen is that your placenta can grow, you know, in a place that it shouldn't because of the scar tissue or what a million of other things that could that could occur but no it's not suggested or recommended that you continuously have cesareans back to back okay and i also wanted to find out um so when i watch these home births they're always so beautiful but in my mind i'm like there is no way i could deal with the pain so what would you have to say to some of the moms out there that feel like they would not be able to have a a natural at-home birth? So the recovery of a cesarean is no joke. And if you can recover from a cesarean, I think that you're strong enough to um, to deliver at home. And I, what I will say is, like, I've had personally births with epidurals. And my home birth was easier and it, it had nothing to do with the birth. Like um, it had everything to do with my mental preparation. And I think that that goes a long way. Like when you mentally prepare for something, when you show up and you're like, I believe in my body's ability to do this and I can do it, then you kind of move a little bit differently. Also adding in the fact that you're in your own home, you know, things are a lot more comfortable when you're safe at home. You don't feel like someone is going to, you know, do or try anything in your space that you're not familiar or comfortable with. So for those who don't think that they're strong enough, I say I think that anybody is strong enough who puts their mind to it. Now, I'm not the midwife that thinks everybody should have a home birth. I think that people should be able to birth in the space that they feel safest in. And if that's the hospital, great. Just make sure you have a provider that, you know, is supportive of your choices and the things that you want. But again, my my births that had epidurals were a lot more difficult for me than my home birth. And it was all just because of the mental preparation that I put in for that home birth. Yeah. And I know with my first daughter, throughout my pregnancy, I was really, you know, I wanted to deliver in the hospital, but I wanted to do natural but because I was kind of lacking a, a support system once that labor did kick in and I was, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for birth. Like I didn't have the birth class. Like nobody really explained the whole process of everything. So I was like a nervous wreck young. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went ahead and went through with that epidural. But even to this day, I feel like the epidural has created back problems and issues for me um because ever since then I've always I've had lower back issues and that's the thing that that's the thing and that's the reason why I stress informed consent so much is because we are signing a blank consent form giving people permission to do whatever however with whomever they please to our bodies and that's just not cool there's no way that people are getting um the true informed 
consents about, you know, epidurals and everything else when a lot of people, I'm like, did you know that, you know, the headaches that you're experiencing are a side effect of your epidural? Like, no, I never knew that there were any side effects to epidural. So how can someone get permission to, you know, mess with their spine and oh, mm-hmm. not be informed of like the things that could happen? Like, uh, you can be paralyzed. You can have these severe headaches. You can have this back pain, like all the things that can happen. Your baby's heart rate can go down. We're just consenting and we don't even know. We have to ask more questions. Yeah, definitely. Um, have you experienced any scary or difficult moments uh, during a birthing process? Oh, heck yeah. Heck yeah. I just had a, a um, rough birth the other day, which, you know, the birth was beautiful. Everything was beautiful. But when baby was born, they just didn't, you know, want to breathe on their own. And so a lot of people ask that, well, what happens if something happens at the birth and, you know, the baby's not breathing, then we breathe for that baby. So, um, I had to work on that baby for quite a bit and transfer. And, you know, the next day my body is sore, but the baby is fine. Everybody's doing well. You know, the baby just needed a little bit of help. So that happens. And that's why we're prepared for those emergent situations because should they occur as a midwife that is doing things out of the hospital, you better know how to handle that. Absolutely. So um, no one likes to talk about losses or anything like that, but do you as a midwife uh, provide support for families that maybe have um, experience a miscarriage or even a stillborn? Yeah, 100%. So if if someone has a baby, like there's so many circumstances what brings people to a stillbirth, right? Like if someone has a baby that is incompatible with life, if they know that they're having a miscarriage and they're beyond the 20 weeks and they want to do it at home, I'll still be there just like it's a birth. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'll still be there like it's a birth. You can still do it at home. Um, but yeah, you know, you provide as much support as you can and you refer, you know, when it's when it's more than what then you can take on. So referring to other therapists and things like that that can get them situated and, you know, working through those issues because loss is something that is very taboo in our society and in our communities. And what are the services that do you continue to assist the mom and the baby postpartum? Do you assist with any type of postpartum depression issues? Yeah. So after, so when you think about healthcare, it's really um, the same schedule as like what you would see your OBGYN for. So you would see your, your OBGYN and your midwife every four weeks until 28 weeks, every two weeks until 36 weeks and then weekly until you deliver after you have the baby, I see my clients at 24 hours, at five days, at two weeks, at four weeks, at six weeks. And if they need to be seen in between then, and we work on breastfeeding, um, we monitor mom and baby to make sure that they're both doing well, that they're, you know, mom is not losing too much blood. She doesn't have any retained fragments, you know, just all the things to make sure that everybody is doing well postpartum. So they see me regularly until they're six weeks. They don't wait until six weeks to see a midwife and get care. That's the difference between um, midwives and OBGYNs. Sometimes you just got to wait a little bit longer to see your doctor. Yeah, and when you have your first baby, it could be be kind of nerve-wracking to wait that six weeks because you're like, okay, is this normal? And you're calling the doctor's office and you would rather be physically seen by someone versus having to wait that entire six weeks. 
So when it, um, like you mentioned, you do uh, provide uh, assistance with the breastfeeding. Um, why is it that the number of Black women that breast breastfeed is significantly lower than the white community? Okay, so I think that's a really good question. And I honestly think that we're really getting on the other side of that. Um, I have amazing breastfeeding rates amongst my clients and I have a really great range of like, you know, a range of people that I serve. So first I want to say that like epigenetics is real and, you know, your, your grandmother could have been afraid of mice and you have some like crazy mice fear and you don't know where you get it from, right? So we have those same traumas. Like when people have a history of sexual abuse, trauma, that stuff gets passed down genetically oftentimes. And we have things that we have to work through, you know, on this side of the realm of whatever, you know, life could be beyond here, right? So a part of it is just, you know, colonization. A part of it is um, the diaspora. A part of it is slavery. That all plays a role in how we look at breastfeeding. So if you think about your family, like how old were you when you saw someone breastfeeding in your family? Um, I, I honestly cannot, I, I never saw it. I, I kind of feel like I'm one of the first in my family. I can be wrong, but I never saw it in my Right. Family. So that's a part of it as well. Like I was the first in my family, but if, if you think about the trauma that has gotten passed down, like, okay, we're, we are in the fields, right? We are, you know, having babies, dropping babies and oh, okay. Now you're lactating. Well, we're going to take you out of the fields and you're going to come inside and you're, now you're going to be, uh, you know, breastfeeding someone else's babies while your baby is not breastfeeding, um, maybe dying from malnutrition. So there's a negative connotation with breastfeeding amongst our community. And now, you know, we're seeing more and more black women breastfeed, more and more black people breastfeed, but um, there's still so much more to overcome because I'm sure even in your breastfeeding experience, when I was around my family, like I still had to deal with the taboos. Oh, that's nasty. You need to cover up. You know, you're trying to take somebody's husband by showing your breast. We still got a lot of work to do, right? But I would argue that Black women, you know, are breastfeeding a lot more than what we were seeing before because we're in this era of empowerment and an era of information. And people are, you know, doing the things that they never knew about before. A lot of us didn't breastfeed because we didn't know. Nobody told us. And I I think a lot of the times, too, like with my first daughter, the support for lactation was definitely lacking. So for her, I didn't breastfeed as long because I didn't have some of the information that I needed. But with my son that I had a year ago, the support, and I actually had a a black lactation um, specialist who worked with me. I don't know if that made the difference or not, but she was, she was super, super supportive, informative. Um, there was a lot of resources given to me before I even left the hospital as far as who I can call. There were meetings. And I feel like that has really been beneficial for me to be able to breastfeed like an entire year. And I'm still going, but now I have people like, oh, he's too old. You can breastfeed your baby as long as you want to. Um, yeah. 
that yeah. even with that, like you, you're setting the tone for like what is normal, right? Like we still have these ideas of like, oh, don't pick that baby up too much; it's gonna be spoiled. Like, you know, we're there's a lot of little things and isms within our community that we're working through. But I, what I always tell people is like, all of the issues that we have within our community, the solution for those issues are found within our community. So if you're not a part of the community, like this ain't your business. You don't have no comments about what's going on, right? But um, yeah. we have our things and we're working through them and our parents are even learning through us. You know, my mom, um, I was the first to really breastfeed. My mom is from Dominican Republic and she came here in her adult life and she had us here. And, you know, she just talked about like some of the things that she she doesn't even know that that I'm like, wow, that's really deep. So she's like, yeah, you know, when you come here, like a status thing is like you you formula feed. And that's like that was like a whole movement of like only poor people breastfeed. Um, that's the thing for poor people. And so she wasn't some, she that wasn't something that was really big for her. So when I started breastfeeding. She was like, oh, okay, like you need to cover up or you need to go here. But as you know, baby one, baby two, baby three, baby four, my baby four or five, like they just was like, she just gonna feed her kids. Like just don't, don't look. <laughs> and so, you know, then other children in my family saw that and they started having babies and they started breastfeeding because they saw me breastfeeding. So I'm like, breastfeeding is a, is a resistance and it's something that is important. And when people see you doing that, like whether or not, you see it immediately, you will start to have people saying like, oh, like I breastfed because I saw you. Like, I didn't even know that that was a thing until I saw you do it. So keep doing it. <laughs> keep going. Yes. So I want to, especially with everything with Corona going on, I'm like, listen, I'm, I'm going to keep going. But uh, I wanted to kind of get into it. Um, I saw that you are actually trying to... Um, accumulate funds to be able to create a birth home so I just wanted you to talk about that a little bit so that maybe some of the people who listen can maybe donate to the cause yeah so thank you for that um I am raising money to make home birth accessible and so what I'm raising money for is for my clients that are lower income um that want to have a home birth, but just literally can't afford it. I also offer free and 50% off services to teen parents. So my, my work is really about funding and creating sustainability in birth work and making sure that I'm not serving just one demographic that everybody knows that this is a birthright and it's not for rich people only it's for whoever wants it. And so that's, that's the reason that I'm raising money right now is just to make sure that I can continue to offer those scholarships and assistance to those families that need it. That's awesome. So I want to say thank you so much, Tiffany, for joining the show today and kind of educating us on birthing and midwives and breastfeeding. Um, do you want to share your Instagram or your uh business page so that could, people can look you up if they're interested of or want to learn a little more information. Yeah, so my um, IG is De La Flor Midwifery and that's D-E-L-A F like Frank L-O-R Midwifery and then if you put the um, at De La Flor Midwifery on Facebook my um, private page will come up as well and you can follow that but I do most of my stuff on IG and Facebook so if you want to connect that would be the way to do it all right 
thank you so much for joining us Tiffany you're welcome thank you for having me Thank you.